0: Welcome to the Insurance Talent Podcast. In each episode, we'll discuss key talent issues and topics today's insurance leaders face. The Insurance Talent Podcast is produced by the Jacobson Group, the leading provider of talent to the insurance industry, with your host, Greg Jacobson.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Insurance Talent Podcast. I'm Greg Jacobson, co-CEO of the Jacobson Group. Recently, I sat down with executives from multiple areas of the industry to discuss their approach to leadership in the virtual environment. On today's episode, we're going to hear from three insurance leaders. Stan Galansky, founder of G58 Capital, board chair of ProSight Specialty, and a board member of Aviva's Canadian business. Maroon Murad, president of Global Underwriting at Fair Risk. And Gerardo Monroy, senior vice president of AFLAC, U.S. Innovation Strategy and Execution. In our conversation, they discussed the impact of remote and hybrid work and how they're adjusting their leadership styles to be most effective. A few themes came up from these conversations, including the importance of building and strengthening connections, rethinking how we measure productivity, and how to most effectively move forward in this new working environment. I'm sure you'll find these guests and their insights as valuable as I did. So now we're joined by Stan Galansky, founder of G58 Capital, uh, board chair for ProSight Specialty, and also a member of the board of directors of Aviva's Canadian business. Hi, Hi, Stan. Good to see you.
2: Hey, Greg. It's great to be with you.
1: Thanks for taking uh, time to talk about uh, flexibility in the workplace. I guess, let me ask you this first. Uh, Do you agree that at the very least, some level of remote work is here to
2: stay? Greg, I don't think there's any question about that. It's on the mind of every executive team and every board of directors in the insurance industry. Uh, when the pandemic occurred in March of last year, no one really anticipated that we'd be operating for an extended period of time out of the office. And certainly, if anyone would have asked the CEO, of at least the companies I'm engaged with, can you run your business remotely for the next six months? You have two weeks to get ready. They would have said impossible. Yet you know, in what's been a very very firm market for property casualty insurance, companies are having terrific results, strong growth, and the question is, is it sustainable? Right? The rising tide of the hard market has certainly lifted all boats, some more than others, right? But uh, you know, it's been made it made it very difficult to say how much of an impact uh, the uh, remote environment will ultimately have on the performance of an organization of those who pursue that path more aggressively than others as a long-term strategy.
1: Yeah, yeah. That makes, makes sense. So it's interesting because I think uh, leaders in general, though, have some concern about the impact of a remote workforce on you know, the corporate culture, creativity, accountability. Uh, what are your thoughts about this? Are you seeing that at all from your perspective?
2: I think senior executives have a strong feeling uh, that productivity is not what it should be in a remote environment. The CEO of a major broking firm told me one day over lunch that he estimated that people in his organization were working somewhere like three to six hours a day. That might be a skeptical point of view, but the question is, uh, are are you as productive in the remote environment? And- is the traditional way of judging the number of hours that one puts into the job even relevant anymore? Is that really the, 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 the metric that one has to look at? Do companies have the ability today to really measure performance in a remote environment? That's gonna be a big challenge to say, you know, how, how do we feel about the, the metrics that we have used traditionally and are they still the relevant metrics? You know, that,
1: that is a great point. And I think a lot of companies have done very well by focusing on the mission of the organization and, and, and uh, essentially building metrics that are based on that mission. But what are some of the things that you're seeing then, or what are some of the things that you think that companies should be looking at uh, in terms of uh, metrics, but not, you know, away from the traditional metrics?
2: Right. Well, some of it is nothing more than the traditional method but having a really strong reliance on a management information system that can deliver that information. Right. Uh, When you talk to executives about monitoring remote work, you know, the basic thing, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, we don't really want our employees, you know, thinking we're snooping on them on how many hours a day they're on the computer. I don't think that's the right metric at all, right? It's it's not a question of how hard you're working or the number of hours you are logged in. It's gotta be a very results, performance oriented uh, scorecard, right? And while everyone likes to talk about how they pay for performance, the question is, do they? Or is there a lot of, you know, feel good uh, corporate behavior awarding in cultures that might be part of a company's corporate culture but really aren't performance related, and that's going to be a, a real divide in the road, right? When you come to that fork in the road, you know, and that fork involves maintaining a culture which may have been less than a hundred percent driven on performance, right? And having a lot of softer uh, attributes to it, versus what's a lot easier to measure in a remote environment, which is your results and your productivity. So if you say we're a results-driven organization. You know, I think that and you live that it's a lot easier to support a remote work environment because the numbers tell the story. If you build a management information that truly captures the value added created.
1: That that is very interesting. Um, And I agree completely. Have you seen companies that have already started to build out that type of management information infrastructure?
2: There's no question about it. And you see it strongly in particularly uh, personal lines, carriers, big workers, compensation carriers, And where does it always start in the claims organization, right, where metrics really do drive the business in terms of the amount of time it takes to close a file, uh, the amount of touches on the file, uh, you know, how much, uh, you know, uh, overpaying for an indemnity payment can be uh, beneficial in terms of reducing the hot cost of handling a claim. And I think the best in class companies have, you know, built superb metrics around their claims organization. Yet those same companies sometimes will struggle to say, how about if we outsource our call center? How about if we do more outsourcing of, you know, IT operations or what on, uh, whatever. So you, you get a lot of difference, I think, in, in, in views by executives of what work is appropriate to, uh, you know, outsource and, uh, versus do yourself on a remote basis. They might outsource an operation with a higher degree of confidence than they will allow their own employees to do it remotely. And at the end of the day, does that really make sense? You know, right, right, absolutely.
1: I, I'm curious, how much uh, do you think that uh, companies have lost in terms of the culture and the the co- and the opportunities for creativity, things outside of accountability? Because really, up until now, we've been talking about accountability, productivity, but what about just pro- uh, uh, what about creativity? Is that something that you think companies are losing?
2: Well, creativity and innovation are words that get thrown out a lot in the uh, in the property casualty insurance industry. Yet, I could also say, you know, our industry isn't really known as being particularly creative or innovative, right? But where do those ideas come from? Uh, More often than not, if the thought is that somehow they come out of a boardroom in you know New York City or Hartford or Des Moines, Iowa, I'd argue that's really not the case. They come from the customers. They come from listening and engaging with the buyers, right? Whether that's a risk manager or a CFO, that's where the real innovation in product lines like, you know, directors and officers liability and transactional liability insurance products even going back a number of years, environmental liability. These ideas have come from the client. They've come from the buyer, right? And the one thing that has certainly suffered is over the last 18 months is the ability of underwriters and other insurance professionals to spend time face-to-face with those clients in an an environment that, uh, you know, fosters innovation. And that might not be sitting, you know, talking about a renewal, right? It might be at a golf course, you know? It might be over a dinner, right? when you get to ask the really relevant questions. What's keeping you up at night? What's giving you a headache? What are the biggest problems you face in your business? Right, And those are the kind of discussions that I think really lead to creativity and uh, innovation in our industry. Switching gears a bit though, when you talk about culture, I find culture to be a really interesting uh, topic because many organizations speak proudly of their culture. And I ran a company for 18 years that had a very strong culture that, you know, that emphasized integrity, professionalism, teamwork and underwriting expertise above all. Right. But yet, if you walked into any one of our 20 plus offices around the world, I could argue there are 20 different cultures there. And walking into the London office was very, very different than walking into Houston or walking into San Francisco. So was the experience of working in those offices. Right. So while there were common threads, you know, if you can operate a branch structure, whether that's 20 or 40 or 50, you know, operations around the world, and you're dealing with so many different business cultures and societal cultures, in in, in addition to your corporate culture, I'd argue you're already doing it. You're doing a lot of the things in terms of your communication that, you know, will uh, enable your success. It's not like you're sitting under one roof the old days when the building was the company, that's long gone. Okay. But there's still a resistance to say, oh, we're going to lose our culture if we're not all showing up to work at an office building. I think there are ways around that. And I think, uh, you know, it's one that will, you know, require you to, to, to go down that path and bob and weave and make adjustments, but it gets back to very basic management fundamentals like communication, you know, Hey, thank you so much. Um, I,
1: I think that our audience will really appreciate the things that you've said. I think you've given, a lot to, uh, given us a lot to think
2: about and I really appreciate you joining us. Hey, Greg, thanks for the opportunity to talk. It's always great to see you.
1: All right, good to see you. Take care. We're here with Maroon Murad, president of Global Underwriting and Fair Risk. Thank you, Maroon, for taking time to speak with us today.
0: Hi, Greg, it's great to see you again. Thank you. Good to see you as well.
1: Hey, Maroon, uh, let's just start out, can you give uh, our listeners a little bit of background about your role and your team at Bear Risk?
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The role that I have is uh, president of Global Underwriting. What this really entails is uh, leading teams of insurance as well as data analytic and technology experts across three different areas. Uh, commercial lines underwriting in the United States to, to support small, but medium and complex commercial risks from a risk assessment perspective, risk pricing, risk underwriting, uh, as well as uh, the international underwriting team across personal and commercial lines and travel. And uh, we could talk about this a bit more at re- More recently over the past four years or so, we've expanded into life, life underwriting across the policy lifecycle, fraud detection, extreme event modeling, as well as technology. So uh, this is what I spend my days doing before 8 p.m.
1: This is, yeah, right. This is great. And so you really have a broad perspective of the uh, industry and multiple segments within the industry. Uh, let me ask you this. Do you see, we're going to talk, we're talking about remote working. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if you see at the very least that some level of remote work is here to stay. Yes. Or do you think, or do you think that maybe it's, it's, it's a temporary situation?
0: Uh, you know, uh, Greg, we've had a uh, work from home policy, actually way before the pandemic. Everything seems to be uh, pre or post pandemic now. Uh, we've had a remote work policy. We've, we have uh, realized a while back that uh, you need to basically spot the talent, attract the talent, uh, keep the talent and grow them anywhere they are. So we have, as you know, offices in, in 30 different countries. And uh, we do have folks that have been working remotely uh, all the time, 100 percent basis, like our field staff, some analytics folks, technology folks. Uh, so this is not new to us in the new world. In the new world, I do expect that we would have a hybrid environment where folks work out of the office uh, half the time or a third of the time, and then for the rest of the time come in to do the important human-to-human connection work, especially around innovation and people management and leadership.
1: All right, that, that is a tremendous segue to, to my next question because I, I know that uh, perhaps you as well as leaders throughout the industry are, are very concerned about the impact um, a remote workforce will have on the corporate culture and specifically cr- creativity and accountability also. You know, what are your thoughts around leading in this new era?
0: And a glass-half-full uh, guy, I, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic. I think, I think there are uh, there are benefits. Uh, uh, there are certainly benefits from the lessons learned over the past couple of years. You know, it's, it's interesting, and, I, and I'm sure you haven't heard this for the first time. If someone had told us in March 2019 that comes March 2020, we're going to go remote 100% of the time, uh, it would have taken us 12 months to figure it out. Somebody told me on Friday, one Friday afternoon that we're, we're gonna try this thing out on the morning and, uh, and here we are today. And we somehow managed. Uh, if I'm being very intellectually honest about the answer, innovation could suffer in the long-term because we do believe that, uh, that the best innovation, the best ideas, the best interactions happen in a real live environment. I believe relationships. You know, we keep saying that uh, insurance is a relationship business. Um, uh, I've been in the industry for a while. I'm a deep believer in that. But also, in, in the old days when I started, uh, we used to also say that uh, insurance is uh, mostly art and part science. Today, I think uh, the, the opposite is true. It's mostly science and, and part art, art of deal making, art of relationships. And if you completely take out the human to human interaction, uh, from the insurance world, I think we will, uh, we will be lacking in, uh, in, in many areas. One of them is innovation. Two is people retention. Three, especially for a company like Verisk, we are uh, data stewards. As you know, we're celebrating our 50th anniversary this year. So we have been in the middle of the industry, the insurance industry, uh, receiving contributory data sets, billions and billions of records every year. Another very important aspect is showing up at a client's office or inviting them over or meeting at ITC where there were five thousand other people uh, attending and re-establishing that trust with a capital T, which is so important, uh, especially in a business like ours, which is about receiving data from uh, from the entire industry.
1: So that's very interesting. So if we uh, are in a permanent situation where there's you know of hybrid uh, work environments, yet. Uh, there's a critical importance of face-to-face uh, meeting and relationship development within the industry. How have you changed your leadership style over the last year and a half to adjust to this new paradigm?
0: You know, it's a, uh, that's a great question. And it's, it's been a very interesting learning experience and a very humbling one. Uh, initially, when, uh, when the pandemic started, We all thought that the best thing we could do is invite our colleagues to have happy hours every other day after a long day of of staring at at two screens and guess what three weeks into it uh we we have a very candid culture and it's pretty flat culture here at various three weeks into it start getting emails saying you know what i'd rather go you know run with my dog or 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 play with my kids so so we learned that lesson pretty
1: quickly well that okay that, that's okay first of all that let, let's keep going with this because that is really fantastic because you're telling because I think a lot of people are trying to figure out is that the right thing you bring people in the office for yeah but what are the other things that you can do if that doesn't work then
0: yeah so so the other the other thing we could do and and I'm, I'm imagining a world where we are not hundred percent back in the office nor are we hundred uh, percent I think a, a good a good approach would be to, depending on one's uh, job requirements, whether you have a, an IT team that can meet for a day or two to, uh, to design their, their IT architecture for a certain project, go off and code or configure in a no-code, low-code environment and come back a couple of weeks later. Versus right now, a lot of companies are engaged in their budgeting and strategic planning sessions whether it's a one year, three year, or five year period. You know, we derive a lot of value out of sitting in the same room with our CFO, COO, and CEO, and, and debating what is most important for us uh, over the next year, three, or five. It, it becomes a bit more complex as well when you're dealing with folks at different time zones. Uh, I Literally started my day early in the morning with a couple of colleagues who are in the Shanghai office. Uh, midday, I was talking to our leader in the UK, Tom Payne, because I'll be with with the team in London mid mid November, uh, unless something happens, of course. And uh, and later today, I'm seeing a customer uh, for for dinner, like you and I did, Greg, a, a few week, few weeks back. I think tailoring the 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 management style to fit one the uh, needs of the business, the need the, the comfort level. Of employees and partners or customers some folks still do not want to come to the office and uh and others want to i think flexibility is is pretty critical here uh, don't over communicate i would say i think we we all uh we all fell uh fell we all made that mistake early on
1: right absolutely i think people got zoomed out <laughs> uh, it means something different probably than what it used to mean but it means they were still they were zoomed out um, so let me ask you one more question. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, discussion lately that I've heard relative to productivity. And I think a lot of people were really surprised at the productivity gains we had at the beginning of uh, the pandemic. And now there's some feeling that uh, I'm not sure it's measurable, but some feeling, uh, whether or not that, 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 uh, productivity may be waning. Are, are you seeing that at all? And it, it, do you have any suggestions on how, to you know, keep pro- productivity where it has been for the past year.
0: Yes, I, I, I agree that we, we saw a, a spike in productivity uh, initially. Uh, we haven't seen any, any signs of this uh, slowing down and from discussions I've been having in the market, especially most recently at ITC, where there were lots of like-minded people from the industry, from analytics and technology that are also seeing their businesses grow and, and remain productive um there is a concern that uh, this people will develop fatigue we're not machines after all thank you <laughs> thankful for this uh, over the long term and that innovation and productivity will take a hit people could get uh, burnt out which is which is not good for on a humane level health level as well as from a product- productivity perspective we're seeing the, the people refer to it the- Different terms, I think the great resignation is the is the uh, is the phrase du jour, if you will. Um, and how, how do you manage that? I do believe again, it's it's a balancing act.
1: Maroon, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your insight. Uh, congratulations on tremendous success at Fair Risk. and um, and uh, we look forward to uh, continuing conversations uh, at another time.
0: Thank you, Greg, and thanks for all your
1: help on the talent front. We appreciate it. All right, I'm here with Gerardo Monroy, Senior Vice President uh, of AFLAC in charge of US Innovation Strategy and Execution. Hi Gerardo, good to see you.
3: Good to see you, Greg. Uh, beautiful morning here in the
1: Yes, that, it, it always is, isn't it? So um, tell us a little bit about your role, just so we have that perspective. Yes, uh, yes, Greg. So I
3: have been with AFLAC for two years now, after spending 18 years with CNO Financial. So I'm very, very happy uh, being part of this great organization. Um, I lead within Aflac a company called Empower. Empower is a company that was bought by Aflac six years ago. And it's this is a technology company. Uh, what, uh, what we do is uh, we are responsible for running the enrollment platform for the Aflac individual products. So through this platform, we enroll over 2 million clients each year and about 1.2 billion in annual premium, which makes basically our platform the largest individual benefits platform in the US. Uh, We have about 120 employees, um, basically the majority of them based here in Charlotte. And this team is augmented by another about 200 onshore and offshore uh, resources that we have with a business
1: partner called Mindtree. Okay, so that's interesting. So in some respects, yeah, you have been running an organization, even pre-COVID, that was remote. Okay. That's, exactly, that's exactly right, Greg. And that is
3: interesting. It is um, not only do we have sort of business partner where in India and, and onshore, but actually the team, my team, uh, had instituted basically a remote uh, uh, philosophy before COVID. So um, when COVID hits, and when, when we uh, um, uh, we left on a Friday, and then we made the decision to basically shut down. That next morning, next Monday, we became a hundred percent remote. So we were, I mean, actually
1: fully ready to, to to do that. No, wow, that's that's interesting. Okay, so you were absolutely prepared for this the situation. Uh, let me, let me ask you this. Uh, we're hearing, you know, there are a lot of leaders are very concerned about the impact a remote workforce will have on corporate culture, creativity, accountability. What are your thoughts about leading in this new era since you were already in the era before, era before uh, COVID?
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and, uh, I will venture to say, Greg, that over half of all organizations rule, uh, Uh, work uh, remotely uh, going forward. That's, I think, the the future, no? Uh, But but what is interesting is I predict that uh, we're going to move into what I call a hybrid uh, model, no, where there will be some associates that work 100% from home. Uh, That will be not the majority. Maybe this is a handful of people. There will be a handful of associates actually are 100% back into the office. And then the bulk, the majority, will be on on this. Uh, hybrid, meaning some days in the office, some days uh, at home. No, so I think that's that's the, the new
1: reality going forward. That's that's what I, I predict. So, are there changes that you think that you had to make in order to, you know, uh, create a culture that operates in that environment? Yeah, absolutely. And and here's I think the this is the
3: the one of the aspects I think uh, uh, that I have been most effective always when I have been able to have a lot of interaction with, with my teams. No? So walk around, uh, walk so sort of the, 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 the floor, uh, meet with people at the cubicles, in their desk, uh, in their offices. So that is something that I, I, sort of, I personally miss. No? And, and we have been able to adjust to just not having everybody in the office. No? So uh, you have to adapt. Again, at the beginning, it was tougher. But we have been at this for uh, a year and a half. And we're getting better and better at, at sort of substituting the, the the physical interaction with some type of interaction like the one that we're having today, which is via video, no?
1: Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's so interesting that you say this, Gerardo, because I, I think that uh, there's just a comfort level. The biggest issue is that there's a comfort level with a walk-around management, um, and you don't really have that anymore. So you have to replace it in a different way. And so you're doing it by Zoom, but are you being intentional about how often you talk to your teams, and uh, you know how do you make sure that you maintain that engagement? Something has
3: always worked very well for me is communicate with all the the organization via weekly email. So. I have done that I continue to do that No, it is basically every Monday morning people receive an email it's it has information around our progress priorities, how are we doing and maybe the opportunity to recognize individual team performance you no know? there is an attachment that has some. Uh, metrics on how are we doing versus goal. that's that's so the very standard, but that. It's especially in a time where you're not physically with people it's it's you are connected no everybody sort of understands yeah we're doing well here there's an opportunity here one of the adjustments that we did is uh, uh, instead of having a a um, a monthly town hall meeting instead of being all of us physically in a room it became a virtual town hall meeting no? about 60 minutes and so the same sort of structure where we have the opportunity to provide updates on organization of where we're heading, but also have the opportunity for team members, uh, team leaders to talk about their key initiatives or provide major project updates, no? We use this virtual town hall meetings, again, we assume a version, a hundred associates, everybody sort of seeing each other to welcome uh, new team members, no? Or to celebrate work anniversaries or to, recognize basically an achievement or milestone uh, that, that was achieved by the team and and that piece uh <clears throat> greg it's very important the other aspects are basically what we do you no know? it's it's this is how we're doing these are the projects this is this other part uh is becoming more and more important again welcoming team members think about it team members that have joined the organization in a remote capacity. Some of them have not actually been in the office, so this is an opportunity for us to connect with them. No, uh, Recognizing the work anniversary It's so, so important or celebrate sort of a, a big accomplishment. So that, we use that, but we're very intentional about that. No? The other thing that I have done, Greg, is I have established, a, and it's actually now for a full year now, uh, what I call a one-on-one quarterly video sessions. And this is actually about my top 30 uh, leaders, no? So, so they are in the schedule. We spend about 45 to 60 minutes, and this actually the structure of the. Try to be very on on a structure, but the structure is is as follows: We start with just a a personal connection. No, I want to hear how the person is doing. How. How how is the family? How how are those things? And then we spend maybe fifteen minutes about, and I share how things are here at home, and how healthy. I mean, obviously, whatever they want to share is just it's just that conversation. But it's. It's so very important to start with that portion is because we will have the time to actually do the business connection. You know, how are things going? How are the teams? How are how are they what are the concerns? How can I help them? But that very first part, uh, Greg, to me is so very important. And it really sort of it's the way in which I, I get an understanding of how the team is doing. I have my, obviously, standard weekly uh, meetings with um, my my core team, and then individual one-on-ones with them, about uh, an hour with them. Uh, And then one other thing that we established, and this actually since the beginning of the year, we established what we call it Wednesday in the office. So now my leadership team, we're back in the office now. So fully sort of protected, and, but it's important for the team to actually be together in the same room, spending time. And, and it has been really, really, really good. Last thing that I will mention is uh, back in August, we, we, had, we hosted a one and a half day session in the office. So we brought the, the top 30 leaders in the organization spend a day and a half in the office a uh, full day of, of working session then we had a dinner together and then uh, uh, and obviously again we took all the necessary precautions to be able to sure. do that the spacing and sort of masks and and everything even in the restaurant where we were we had sufficient space but but but, but greg it was i mean I, I, it was such an interesting thing is to see everybody it was so happy to be able to to just have physical connection. No, it's 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 it, 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 the the quality of the conversation, the the, the 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 depth of how we engage with each other was just fantastic, and it carried forward. No, so we had basically the meeting, we had the one of the houses, and then I could see basically all the other indexes who had in video. They were just at a different level. No, because I think also that's another thing that we need to 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 really as leaders. Uh, Think about sort of the value of bringing the things together because it really sort of creates an environment that even if we're very effective on the on the on the video on on, on web and we're very good at it, it just just doesn't happen. No, just
1: does not happen. So right. that combination right. I think is very very important. You know, I I, I love the story about uh, keep uh, keeping connections. Uh, I think that's just so important. And I think your approach to just making sure that there's some personal discussion that goes in because that's what you miss when you have an agenda on a Zoom, right? And, uh, and you're doing a great job of, of doing that. So that, that's fantastic. Well, listen, Gerardo, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate uh, your insights. Uh, I know you're a great leader and I think that uh, the industry will be very uh, interested in hearing what you have to say. So thank you so much. My pleasure, Thank you. Thanks to Gerardo, Maroon, and Stan for sharing their insights and experiences with me. As you, our listeners, adjust your leadership styles to accommodate shifting environments and employee needs, I hope some of these takeaways resonate and inspire your own strategies for moving forward. Thanks for listening, and make sure to subscribe to receive new episodes of the Insurance Talent podcast as they become available.